I have a problem with David Hetty. You can open a set by being like really distraught and uncomfortable and slow and saying, I want to know what I want like to follow up on the line. the word. Why do Hi guys, hello. This is I have a problem with David Hetty, and this is David Hetty, and this is the this is still the show. Um, so it's been more than quite a little while since an episode has been released, um, and. Yeah, I guess I guess it's not what I want, but like it's been a very super fun past few weeks uh, doing this little uh, tour, a little tour, I guess, from like Halifax, PEI, uh, to Montreal, to Toronto, and then back down to New York, and it was just three weeks of like such incredible, weird, fun, like sleeping in all these different places and not knowing when your meals, your next meal's coming, and doing all types of different shows in different kinds of rooms, which was the most exciting thing. Like, you go from a a big festival, we'll call it like a, a music festival set, and there are a couple hundred people there, to like a comedy club set, and people are there and they have no idea why, and but they're still there listening to, to comedy, apparently. And then you do a late night show, a fake late night show, and then you're doing some open mic, and then it's uh, your own show that you set up with a friend, and you're doing your own room. And it, it was just so much fun because you really have to like adapt to each moment. You have to to, to play differently, and then you're you understand better how to communicate your ideas to all these different types of people in different times and places. Anyway, it was just so much fun. And the funny thing is, I think, is that the absolute worst comedy occurred in the legitimate comedy clubs. It's not in the bar shows. It's not in the one-off shows. It's not in front of people who were, you know, typically they, they read more or they they listen to music more. But it's ones who have nothing. Look, okay, this is pretty damning, I suppose. But... It's, but it's 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 funny to me because like what's so fun, what was so interesting about the tour, was that it was just fun to do comedy and to feel the comedy getting better, you know that was a feeling at least. And it's kind of sick that the worst forum for comedy, in at least the way I see it, are the dedicated comedy clubs. It's sick. It's disgusting. Um, although I guess what's nice is that now it doesn't have to be the case. I mean, you see people releasing, you know, music albums and artwork and anything online in the way. And, and similarly, you know, you, you, it's possible to get word out about shows uh, through through your own followings. Um, and it's a way of sort of, I don't know, maybe making comedy a little bit more spontaneous, a little bit more in its natural home. Um, okay, so what's this, what's this episode about? Uh, this episode is with my friend and very funny comic, Dom Perret. Uh, that's Dom, D-O-M, as in like, you know, the last 
letter of the first name Dom. And uh, we recorded it a long time ago, and I gotta say that the quality, the, the quality, the audio quality is terrible because I was again like not at home at that time, and I, I didn't have my mic with me, so we recorded from my computer's microphone. And it's just something that I'm like, I felt terrible, like not putting it out there because I find Dom such a compelling person. Um, his 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 comedy is very honest. It's he really talks he talks about what's on his mind and like for instance, uh, <laughs> I ran some comic in New York and he's like, oh, do you know Dom? I was like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, he's like he just he came on late. He came on last one once on one show, and he was just like so brutally like bitter and angry and honest, and it was so hilarious. And I was like, yeah, that's Dom. I also remember this one time I was putting on some shows. The first time we'd run this room, and about. You know, three audience members showed up, and the comics were sitting around. And I said, "Wait, you, do you want to you want to do this show?" And Tom's like, "I've done worse." And I was like, "Oh, like that's such a beautiful sentiment. Like that's sort of that's sort of like the comics mantra almost. I've done worse. Because um, like what happened is, what happened is my last night in Toronto before coming down to New York, I was just miserable. Like just so like feeling so." lonesome and I didn't want to go home and like my phone didn't work I couldn't contact any friends and I kept walking from like you know the, the bars where my friends hang out I couldn't find anyone it was like drizzling rain and I was so miserable and I was like oh like wait like I can go I can go do this show like I know there's this one little open mic in some terrible wretched pit of a dank basement of some bar and I, I go there and I'm just and I see it, and it's full, like, it's full of people, and there are comics there, and I just had this terrible, sinking feeling, I was like, ugh, I was like, this is who gets good at stand-up, basically, like, the people who have nothing better in their lives to do, nowhere to go, like, they're the ones who find these, these mics and rooms, and then just get better, and you, you get to play with that feeling you're in, and I like, I like, so... I like talking to Don because I see I've seen some of his like I really like seeing him perform in those circumstances. Uh, again, this ties back to how I think that like comedy kind of fails often in these comedy clubs. Where you're expected to give a certain kind of performance, and I think that's it's not so interesting anymore. Maybe that's maybe we've comedy's evolved beyond that. Maybe I just this is just my own feeling. Anyway, so uh, yeah, so basically, and this this podcast episode also, it's not really, it's different from the rest. I think this is more just Dom being given a platform to talk. And this is really more about uh, comedy and his feelings on comedy, not so much me. I mean, we, we go into why uh, I am or I feel marginalized from the comedy community and, and, and what I may do that's alienating in general to the general stand-up community. Um, and that's the first bit of the, of the podcast. Um... But then it also goes into, like, the fear of dying alone, and uh, what else? Don has this sort of scathing indictment of basically people who go into, like, jobs that are secure and safe because they haven't thought of anything else ever. And I guess he says partially it's not their fault. But anyway, Don's from Ottawa, and so he has, you know, he's familiar with uh, government and government, the government world, and maybe what it means to be a bureaucrat, and especially in distinction from what it means to do what we do. And Dom himself, he left like this very well-paying, secure job 
uh, to do this. And I have a lot of admiration uh, and, you know, respect for that. He and I have tried to set up, we've tried to set up a tour together this year, um, but it fell apart for certain reasons. And, uh, yeah, I just, I just, I just, I, I appreciate what he has to say. I find his self-assurance sometimes to be a little, uh, like, unsettling. Like, where does it come from? But it was fun because we were trying to set up this. And we're very different people, I think, in certain ways as well. Because, like, trying to set up this tour, Dom was in sales before. And I remember being like, look, like, why don't you deal with the booker? Like, I have no, I don't know what to do in the circumstance. How to make this, like, make the final move or to execute something. So he took control of things. And it was, it was very nice. Um, what else want I talk about um yeah i don't know it's just um i guess one more thing i want to say is i guess one funny story i think from from this tour was that like dom says in this podcast that uh something that i do that people find unsettling comics is that I'll, I'll kind of like pierce down to like their core or challenge them or something like this in conversation but i'm not trying to and there's this one weekend I did at uh, the Comedy Nest in Montreal, and four shows, and it was with the headliner. I'd never, you know, I'd done some shows with him before, but we didn't really know each other well. And I thought it was nice getting to know him, we had some funny conversations, just like hanging out. And then in the intermission before the final show, after, four, after three days of doing shows together, we had this conversation, and all of a sudden I said something, just like, didn't sit well with him. And I think what happened was he was saying he was thinking of doing a tour um, of all crowd work. And so I said, I was like, oh, I know, I thought it was, I don't know, I, I said something like, do, you, like, do audiences like crowd work? Is that what they go, was that what they want to go to shows for? Um, and then I think one other point of contention was that I, I know, I, I think that I've said that a lot of audience members have come back years later and said, oh, I remember this joke you told. I said, they remember the joke? And he's like, no, they remember the character. They remember the person. Anyway, however something was said, it was clear that I totally offended him. And he walked out of the green room. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, what the fuck? Like, why have I just, like, ruined this, you know, this, like, friendship or whatever, this good feeling? And I didn't mean to at all. And I was like, how do I apologize? How do I set this straight? And I think I did at the end, like, genuinely saying, like, look, like, I'm sorry, like, I didn't, I had no intention of being disrespectful, and, like, and sincerely, the only reason that I was talking to him in the first place at all was because I thought I had something to learn from him. If I didn't respect him, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't give him my time, the time of day. Uh, and I think that this is part of the thing that Dom and I discuss. Um, it's a long episode, and I didn't edit it because I just think it's an interesting conversation, and if you want, you can cut out when you, when you like. I guess that's obvious, but, like, uh, I don't know. I just like hearing his thoughts on things. So, if you want, you can... Dom, I think, was, like, voted runner-up, possibly, for the funniest comic or male comic in Toronto by Now Magazine, in the Now Magazine Reader's Poll recently. And he has a huge Twitter following, at least by my standards. Um, you can find him at... The Dom Perret at D P A R E. Um, and otherwise, if you're in Toronto, you can see him. He travels all over Canada and outside of Canada too. And so, this is I Have a Problem with David Hetty. Uh, please enjoy. <laughs> Thank 
So this, is this still, I have a problem with you? Is that what it is? Yes, there it is. I don't know if I have a problem. Again, too many people are saying this to me. And yeah. too many people are saying this to me once we've already arranged to meet. Yeah, I suppose. Well, I mean, I don't know. I thought about it and it's like, okay. Let's take this deeper, maybe. Because uh, I don't have a... Because for you, I mean, the first ones I've listened to, I've listened to some of those podcasts. Uh-huh. Uh, Long-time listener, first-time guest. <laughs> but I don't have a single specific moment where I was like, man, fuck David Hetty. Like, or screw him for this. Or the argument I, debate I had with you uh, is so profound that I harbored some sort of issue. Right. Uh, but I've come to learn things of you. From others? From others? No, no, from just our interaction. Like, there's things of you I could heavily criticize, um, and I'd point them out to you. I could also just say that you and me knowing each other is more of a reflection of my flaws than probably yours. Are knowing each other? I mean, I think that maybe I sh- it would be fair to say that we're somewhat similar in our, in our sort of outlying characteristics. It can be. I mean, we're both antagonistic to those who can't handle direct questions or criticism. Yeah, I think we're more open to engage others uh, quite directly. Although I think that you you do it more to antagonize expressly sometimes. Sometimes. Depends on who it is. You just said you ruined a podcast because you were purposely trying to bother someone. Yeah, but I thought that that would be interesting. I didn't ruin it on purpose. I really thought it would be interesting to listen to. Right. So ultimately, it's like about the product the listener gets. And as a person sitting in the listening seat of that podcast, I thought they would almost come to the point of giggling because it's, it's to be kind of expected. Okay. You know what I mean? Like it's they're in on something where it's the other person who's being subjected to it isn't, and it's really not that horrible. It's, it's sort of like watching pranks on YouTube or something like that. You know, okay. Sort of like ha ha ha, but I fucking need to be the guy being pranked, right? Okay. But I mean, for you, I mean, I don't know. We're similar, but we're different. I. I don't know what it is about you that I've, I've seen so many people take exception to you on a deeper level. People definitely take exception to me, and they'll all they almost go like, "Oh, well, Donna, Dom's an asshole," and they'll just sort of write it off, and they'll still know me, and it'll still be fine. For you, they'll harbor something, and I, I it is interesting to me that you were like, "Okay, let's do a podcast about this," because you saw a theme in your life where people are actually harboring <laughs> distaste to you, and and for me, I think I'm just immune to it because I mean. Yeah, we're probably similar in some regard, but, you know, I, I've seen this in my life recently. I've been sort of looking at the changes in my life and who uh, ha- I have maintained as friends and who as new friends have entered into my life. Uh-huh. And those who are, like, consistently in my life or I interact with even when they're not in the city, like even if we message each other on Facebook or something like that, yeah. uh, they're all primarily flawed. Like, they're all essentially rejects, even within our community of rejects. And it, really? I'm starting to look at it as a, a continual, I'm like, have I just developed such a thick skin that I am comfortably able to deal with these people? I mean, a, I think a, re, like a, a reject is a very harsh way of qualifying, you know, who these people may be. Like, maybe they're just, you know, I mean, just because you don't fit in doesn't mean that you're inherently flawed. It just, this could be... Uh, a, a comment 
on the, you know, the, the in-crowds in this community. Yeah, that's a nice way of saying it, but you're avoiding the point is that you got rejected by the community. Yeah, but... Okay, first off, okay, first off, do you do you feel rejected from the community? And do I, I feel rejected. I feel... I mean, I was asking you if you think I am, but, I mean, I can say that I feel a little bit... Uh, you're, not, you're not, like, on the outside, but you definitely get rejected. You definitely aren't, are, uh, I guess, aligned with certain groups. People write you off based on your material or the way you handle yourself or the... You do have an air of, like, well, I'm quite smart, you know? You, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't... Is it an, an air? It's an air? Yeah, it's not... Uh, like, uh, when a guy, like... When a guy handles himself in a certain way, it's like physical cues, uh, tone of voice cues, uh, like... If someone addresses... You know, it's the, there's four people in a group to say hi to three and not the fourth. That's you. I won't say hi to the fourth person, or they won't say hi to me, I'll be the fourth person. No, you, you might, you'll just gloss over them, or you'll seem disinterested in them. It's like, uh, it, it's sort of, it, there's an air even in the conversation when, when you choose to have a debate with somebody, it inherently becomes about questioning who they are as opposed to what the actual debate what's issue that, is. What's that an air of, in, okay, an air of intelligence, what's that an air of intelligence? So what? So other people have theirs, other people are more giving, other people are are more sort of creative, I don't know, or sillier. Like, I don't why is intelligence uh, negative? Why do people have to... Oh, I'm not saying intelligence is negative. I'm saying the way you handle yourself is negative. Okay, okay. Because, like, in, intelligence is, is essentially sexy. It, uh, when you find somebody who's actually, like, smart as a whip, you're like, oh, you can't help but be attracted at least to what they're, they're doing, the thoughts they're putting out there. But when those thoughts are wrapped in uh, a sort of a static bubble that shocks you every time you interact with it, you kind of don't want to be there. Yeah, but like I, I mean, who knows? I mean, I think that maybe you know, maybe your, you know, your your rougher exterior, mm-hmm. like I don't know, like or what if that's what if mine is like a defense mechanism or something? Why does it have to be interpreted as my looking down? Like I think I, I, it doesn't have to be. It just is. I mean, ultimately, when you look at it, say, you know, you said a moment ago, you're like, okay, well, to some regard. You're aware you've been rejected by certain circles, but like, if you want to know why, that's why. Yeah, that's why. Okay, that's because I'm not sure if it's the stand up or if it's the interpersonal well, relations. The or the stand up part would be like, you know, the people who are really driving to be like an industry darling uh, or reach the top of the pile in Canadian comedy. Uh, what you do is a horror. It's an abomination. It, 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 it can't exist because ultimately it's not supposed to be embraced. And when it works, it's even more annoying to them because. What you do on stage is is is, is very dry, yeah. uh, very specifically worded, and often very dark, and will question your limits of comfort. And even in your sets, like you'll tell the audience they're stupid off the top. <laughs> You've done that, and like yeah. you, you, when you open up a conversation with a group of people with, by the way, you're stupid. You can't help but lose a couple people there who are like taking you seriously. That's comedy. You don't know subtlety. Yeah, I know. But these comedians will look at that product and they'll be like. Okay, well, I'm not aligned with that guy. Like, he's not worth my time as an investment because there's a hundred comedians in this room. Who should I invest in being friends with? And they start thinking about networking. Mm-hmm. Who can give me what? Who can help me get here? Who's aligned with what I'm aiming for? Who's actually, like, trying to get cuddled up to the industry and who would give me the right email address at the right time? You're not that person, so they're not going to waste their time with you. They'll be nice to you, yeah. but you're never going to be invited to the table. The next one is the lower-end open micers. You're above them, largely, through experience. Right. Uh, you've got more life experience. <laughs> yeah, well, more life experience, a, a great old chunk of depression, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, you're, you're deeper in the game than them, so when they talk to you, uh, you're, it's sort of like, 
the volume's turned all the way up. Even though you could be very soft-spoken, uh, it's hard for them to even absorb the concepts that you're putting out there, especially yeah, when you wrap them. No, no, just you as a conversationalist directly to some of these people. I've seen some of them wither in conversation with you because it, it, conversation with you can start off like a warm hug and become scalding water thrown in your face. Like That's, that's what it can become. And, and when that happens... There's different types of people, and on those open micer level, they shy away from you. They may stand there and almost—it's almost like they're trying to take a stand or trying to prove they can deal with someone like David Hetty. I'm going to be in this industry. I'm going to make it, and somehow they internalize that, and that's why you'll get rejected by some of the people in that group because they're feeling that uh, that rejection, if you will, uh, from you. You're deeper in the community than them, so they go, they inherently reject you because they're like, well, this will make me. Uh, stronger, and I'm choosing my own path, and I refuse to be turned away. You question people at their core. That's what it is. You like, you literally zero in on their heart, and you go right there. Blah. But that, but it's not because I don't I don't think highly of them. It's because I think that's what's most interesting. I think that's what like that's what I well enjoy doing. About, I think that with myself, like those are that's what makes life interesting. Why ask other questions? What I what else do I care about? Well, I mean, that's the, that's the fundamental dysfunction we both have, is that we don't like having cosmetic conversations. Uh, we don't like having, how's the weather, what's up with sports, the traffic sure was shit today mm-hmm. conversation. 80% of this world loves hack conversation. <laughs> I love it. It's yeah. hack. It's hack. It's hack as fuck. But I find that, especially in this community, it ought to be people who are willing to go to these levels of discomfort. Yeah, but we're a mix. I mean, there's people who are daydreaming and hobbyists and all this stuff, and there's people who just uh, sat in their living room and said, that's it, I'm going to do this with my life, and and they're not aware of how hard it is, and the more you try to tell them how hard it is, the more they want to ignore you, because you're, you know, dissipating the, the dream for them. And, you know, when you look at somebody, because you're not, you are smart, but fuck you, you know when you look at somebody and you see that that little tender area, and you're like, well, why won't I just ask this direct question? You also know that the person you're asking it of is too weak to handle such a direct question. No, I don't think so. I don't think I don't think I'm gonna go ask someone I don't respect that sort of a question. Like I was at a bar the other day, and uh, there was a guy sitting there. It was like kind of a divey bar, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a guy sitting there. Walks in, beautiful suit, just like look real nice, you know. Yeah. But, um, you know, not sort of like young professional, you know, late 20s, early 30s. And I went up to him, right, silent, and I said, I said, why are you in this place? <laughs> what are you doing here? And, and he looked kind of like, you know, he kind of stood back a bit. And he's like, who like who are you to ask this question? Yeah. And we got into such a great conversation, and he was so pleased I'd asked him these things. Mm-hmm. And he said this was one of the best conversations he had in a long time. No one's ever asked him this. And... There was a real, and he told me, well, he was a little presumptuous as well, and I accepted those things, so I mean, I came on strong, but I thought, like, that that was a real satisfying evening, and it's something both of us will most likely remember for a while, and if you don't venture these, if you don't venture these sort of, you know, these gestures, then what do you end up with? You end up with, with nothing. Yeah, or you end up with a comfortable life and friends, I don't know. But, 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 but what, but I don't even I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't know how people... You're telling me about a conversation that's in the ether and made you feel good for one moment. I'm talking about real-world friendships. Yeah, I have, I'm talking I have about, good friends. I know, but, like, the, all those people fundamentally have had issues with you. Not really. Yes, they have. That's why this podcast exists. 
they've all had something that were like the closer you get to you, the more likely you're going to have a moment where you're like, fuck you, David Hetty. And then only the strong people will actually make it past. I that. don't think so. I think there are different. No, no, I don't think so. I think that if you get to, I don't know, I think you get to know me, you're my friend, you yeah. come to understand these sort of time of fascia difficult moments or difficult interactions. I, okay. think, I think when you say that, when you come to understand, I think that what they're doing is they're seeing the value beyond whatever thing you've done that's annoyed them. But I don't think these are like grave transgressions that, that people have. Have you had a friend like divorce you, like get rid of you? Um, I don't. None, none come to mind. No? No. I would be, I'm surprised at that. I'm surprised that it hasn't just been a point where like it was fuck you and they walked out the door and they don't, I don't want to talk to you anymore, David. You're pissing me off. Have you had that? Uh, I've divorced a friend, yeah. I cut a friend out once. Okay. I didn't want to, like, deal with their drama anymore, basically. Um, because it was too draining. It's like a spiral downward, and like, you know, it's like addiction and stuff like that. I couldn't really, I couldn't follow. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I, there's a, and a certain extent that I can go to to help them, but then I, there's a certain point where it's so, so, so cliche, but you're like, I've got to let this person hit the bottom. But do you... But don't you think that this way, like, you, why are you, I mean, with your manner, like, I think maybe, I mean, I guess you're coming across right now, I don't have to sort of characterize it, but I think you're maybe sort of a gruff, you're gruffer, you have a, a harder, I think you have a harder exterior than you actually are. Of course. Um, you, I mean, you're right in that, but like, like, this is sort of functionally how we are similar. But, but then don't you think that you kind of, in a way, you end up finding those people who you will really get along with best when you, when you, when you. True, but that's that's also what's happened to me is the more I've been saying. This is why I was talking about it. Where it's like I've been looking at my life recently, and I'm like, the people that can handle me are fucking weird, and they're they're oddities. They're, can I ask who these people are? Are they going to be offended if you mention their names? Are you, are they comics? Um, yeah, I'll tell you later because I think some of them might really take exception to me pointing it out. Okay. Um, but one I'll mention because I mean he'll forgive me. It doesn't matter, but it's like <laughs> Alex Brobadani, uh -huh. who happens to dress up like Batman, uh, has many weird stories about him, uh, but in a heartbeat, in a notice, in a, in a second, when I've needed him to assist me, like in a real-world thing, or when one of, there was a comic recently went to the hospital, he just got a heart of gold, yeah, and he'll go out that. of his way and, and really, re like, he'll drop everything. He'll drop job, money, opportunity, and stand-up. He'll mm -hmm. drop it in a heartbeat because you're his friend, mm -hmm. and he's going to help you. And I very much respect that. He also will just do the most insane shit. And it's not that it ever damages me. You're just like, you're socially fucking up right now. And he'll laugh at himself when it's done, but he actually will also be like, what am I doing? And so then do you find that the people who are maybe more successful socially or their, or, or their, you know, their offstage interactions help their careers? Do you find that they are people who are, are not as genuine or they're just genuinely nice, they're genuinely nicer people? I think sometimes <clears throat> it's a blend of both. Some are just genuinely nice people. Like they're really good, nice people. Like, um, you know, I, you know, I always say this. When I fucking love Pete Bedlacker. He's one of the best people I've ever met in comedy. Okay. And he's like brilliantly funny. And he's very giving of his time, and he's a genuine human being. Yeah, he's very nice. One time I met him. But there's other people I know who are in the industry to play a game in the industry because uh, you know they've they've sort of looked at it in a different capacity. We're like, if I'm going to make it to the top, I better start making the right networking connections because you do. If you want to succeed, you basically need to build networks. 
and it's networks of people. And those mm -hmm. people sometimes you don't actually like, but you'll fake it. And, uh, okay, so you think, okay, so, and you feel as though the way that I, my unfriendliness or the way that I go to the core, question people profoundly, mm. that has really hindered. Yeah, that'll hold you back, because ultimately it held me back. And the only reason I'm in some of these groups that probably you are not uh, typically invited to, like, you've seen it, like, if you're at Yucks or something like that, and the, they'll bounce around and be like, hey, we're all going to go to blah, 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 and they don't talk to you. But then every once in a while, someone in that same group will be like, hey, we're going here. Yeah, and then yeah, you yeah. come. But you know initially you weren't invited. You weren't direct invited. You can tell that there's an exclusionary capacity to it. Right. And that goes away over time because, and this is not, hey, I don't want to come off like, look at me, I'm tuning my own horn. But this is a problem I always had where I was like, oh, just a second or third invite or not invited mm -hmm. because of how I handle myself and uh, how direct I can be with people. And what ended up changing was I was getting funnier than some of these people, and I was getting more credits, and I was having momentum. And the people at the top rung who do my style of comedy, mm -hmm. they started to see me and interact with me and like me. And then by default, I was just involved in this because there were certain silos I was just bypassing these people. And the, the thing that will make those people freak out the most is when you're having momentum mm -hmm. that they don't have any connection to. If you're doing really well and you're heading up through the chain and they aren't aligned with you, right. they will go out of their way to become your friend. They want to because it's all about for them building a network. And if I happen to get up to a top position where I can help them and they haven't invested in a relationship on my way along there, right. you know, if they know it's like that old thing, like if you weren't there for my rise to the top, they don't expect to be my friend when I'm there. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's that's it. So they they'll try to come in line with you then. Do you think there's a way to sort of continue to deal with people, like ask these questions, in a way that's not going to alienate them. Like, is there, is there, or just like I don't understand what exactly is the problem. Is it the manner? Well, this is, is where it? you get trapped. Uh, this is where you're trapped because you're you're not going to change. It's you're too. It's too fucking late. <laughs> there's there's no way for you to be like, oh, I'll rewire myself better. Starting today, you spend five years focusing on being this new person, and you're still going to internally be you, mm -hmm. and it will drive you fucking mad. You can make modifications, okay. you can take it down a notch, and that's actually an effort. Like, I cannot tell you how often when I, I've been, I've been in Toronto long, it's going to be four years now, and, and how often I would uh, just go at somebody, like just go walk up, look them in the eyes, tell them why they're wrong, tell them to screw off, you know, and they would wither. And what I would ultimately be doing is dragging someone out of the dark corner that they're in. They don't, they'd rather project a version of who they are mm -hmm. and thusly gain the right networking so they can still exist and grow within comedy. But when I see how very fake they are, I love putting a hook in their chest and dragging them into light and going, look, you see everybody? You see how full of shit this person you is? You do that in public sometimes, I'd say. Yeah, but I, you stage. have to understand that I would do that so regularly. And it became a problem for everyone around me mm -hmm. and for me. Because mm -hmm. no, no uh, negative action like that doesn't just blow up all over you. You know, like if, if you hurt somebody, you're hurting yourself. It's the way it works. Right. So I had to really focus on taking that away and removing me doing that to the extent that I was doing it. And sometimes I honestly, it's, it's weird, but it's like, it's like I, I look at somebody talking in a room as a stand up 
and I know they're full of shit, and I kind of have a distaste for them, and I see them being a fake person. On stage or in like... Just in the networking capacity, okay. or even their material not being even remotely genuine, or, or you know, uh, that, I mean, Bill Burr referenced this, but it's like that archetype now of the alternative comic, which isn't really that alternative, but... It's the the one who gets up there and is like, guys, I'm super wacky, and I sure am awkward. And then they just make a lot of meme references to, like, Reddit boards and stuff like that. Okay. And, and it's always like, you know, LOLs, BTW. And, like, they're acting like they're some nerdy, awkward person. And I'm like, but this is cookie-cutter bullshit because you're not that person. You're actually a very scheming, networking-driven person. And you go, this okay. is the best product I can put out because that's what the industry's into right now. So I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to network with these people. And for me, I used to just call that person out direct and pull them into the light and be like, look, look, everyone, look at how fucked up this person is. And you know what would happen every time? People would be like, what the fuck are you doing, Dom? Because they kind of know, and they don't need you to do the horror of pulling them out. So the you, so you stopped doing that stuff? Largely, yeah, I had to because it was also hurting me, and it was—it's not the right way to do things. So, is there something like—is there something that like that's a very particular sort of repeated action or way of being? Is there something that defined that I could stop doing? I think you just have to—you have to—you have to look at it as like a weapon. Like, you—you you, you must at some point appreciate that the way that you're so very direct with people is. Uh, it exposes their vulnerability. It removes a whole layer of who they project to be. They feel immediately uncomfortable. They feel immediately vulnerable. The armor is dropped. They're going to go and either A, shut down, or B, counterattack, or C, try to get other people to attack. And that, that's it. That's what you're going to end up dealing with if you, if you go right at their heart. There's only a few people... Like, if you say some crazy barb of a comment to me about me, mm-hmm. I'll look at you and decode what you just said and then respond. I don't take it direct in, personalize it to myself, and get all worried about it, and go, oh, fuck, I'm exposed. Because when you talk about it's interesting because you're like, you say, oh, this defense mechanism, you have much more of a gruff exterior than you actually are. I'm like, this is true, but it's also fake because I... I, I, or so it's not true because I also live so very close to the edge of who I actually am. And on stage, it's mm-hmm. a, definitely an exaggeration of characteristic. But I tend to try to live it like I'm accountable for what I said. I'm accountable for my actions. Mm-hmm. I prefer to own those actions. Uh, I apologize when necessary because there's nothing better than apologizing when you mean it. And, and people who don't say sorry are, are useless because they're just ego-driven. But you can do all... All of that, but you, you could call me on something. You'd be like, well, what about this thing you did? Or how about those words you said? And it's not that I'm sitting there prepared for you to do that. It's that I've owned my actions, so I'm not trying to hide them. Whereas everyone else who's fucked up that way okay. would prefer to sweep it under the rug and have you not pointed out. Okay. They'd prefer that it not be talked about. Maybe in private, one-on-one, if you're a good friend, you could have a chit-chat about it. Right. But generally speaking, they prefer that that mistake they made to just disappear because they need to have a manufactured product. I'm trying to think of like some particular instance where I may have done this to a comic. I think you've done it in almost every single instance where you're dealing with an amateur, like a really low-rung amateur, because they are so fleeting. They're so fleeting in their ability to be confident. Mm-hmm. You can see a transition from just awkward, sweaty, looking at his mic and... 
just talking about their dick or masturbating. Like, they don't even know what they're trying to say yet. They're surrounded by people who know what they're doing. And, you know, let, let's say, this is, I'm not saying this is the case, but, like, let's say they revere people like me and Rob Mayhew and Aaron Berg and, and Mike. And we're all sitting there talking in a Mike, circle. Mike, Mike Wilmer. Okay. Um, and we're all, say, sitting around talking in a circle, right? And you're in that same circle. And then you walk over to this amateur who's like, oh, okay, he's going to talk to me. And you just call him out for being full of shit. When you come, how? How? Like, no, how? I'm saying that you, it's sort of what you're doing is that you are in the middle distance where you're not like huge, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you're definitely more accomplished. And you know all the people that they like. And then you come over and you'll debate with them. But the debate is not about them. You're never saying you're shit. You question them. And the, subsequently becomes a question of their presence and a question of why they're even doing stand-up. Every, you could be talking about why they like a certain art. It doesn't really matter. Why they like a certain car. All they're hearing is, I'm not welcome unless I defeat this guy in this argument. And they take it personally and then they don't want to talk to you anymore. I don't... I'm trying to... Like, I, I, I certainly do feel as though there are some comics who would the world would be better off if they weren't doing comedy. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> but I don't think that's the way that I, I... That's not my default way of interacting with someone I've just met or anyone who's, like, you know, below whatever level mm. I'm at, at at comedy, which isn't, like, you know, I mean, certainly... I'd say it's like a... Like, if you go up to, like, the central, I'd say it's a one in three chance that you're going to end up having a debate with somebody that rankles them. I've talked to... I feel like they're real... I don't know. Like I feel like when I, I think I get a, I don't know. Like I, I don't, I don't know. Like I think that one thing that's weird is that I don't think, like I don't know if I have lots of friends in the stand-up community. Yeah. I, I think that it's a function of like having friends already. When I came to Toronto, like I lived here before I came back, and so I had my really good high school friends and all these, my family and all these things. I didn't feel the need. Yeah. And I had good stand-up, like, great stand-up friends from Montreal. Yeah. And I think that I kind of see this a little bit like doing stand-up as work. And I know that when I email people about shows, sometimes yeah. they, I, the other day I got something saying, you never email, about, like, you have kind of a friend or you, you're never, you're always emailing about shows. And I was like, act like you run a show and you've never, you know, you maybe one time, like, you know, like a drunken message or something I received from you, but otherwise. Yeah. And it's always like, and I see the, I see the groups of friends, and I wonder whether they were friends first, and then they became comics, or like when they, when they formed, whether they brought in new people, or are these, are these professional friendships or genuine ones? I mean, it's not so, you know, it's not so defined. I think it's. It's a mixture of both. I mean, some people have just been friends forever, or they met in comedy, or they met before. It doesn't really matter. But what it becomes is ultimately, for me, what bothers me the most sometimes, or what I like the most. Like, genuine, real comics, people who actually take chances and, and push a little bit creatively, and, 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 and will accept a bomb, I will accept discomfort to get to a place where it's really interesting and unique. Mm-hmm. And those I respect creatively, and typically as persons person. Right. Um, the other ones who are just producing A plus B equals punchline, they play like comedy robots and set up, set up, punchline, set up, set up, misdirect, punchline, set up, set up, old reference to Nintendo, McDonald's, punchline, yeah, callback, 
it's you know, like, okay, I get it, but you're not even giving me anything, mm -hmm. you know? Do you find it hard to be friends with those people because you don't respect the stand-up? I, I find it, I, I have a trouble being friends with them because they're not real. They're not real. They're like a waste of time. Like their stand-up doesn't even enter the equation when I qualify them as somebody I'd want to sit and have a beer with. Okay. It's because if I actually sat there and had a beer with you and, and we had hung out for the evening, I would know that at no point am I actually getting the real you. I'm not getting the real you because you've chosen to just put out a product. There's a product. And this is, 80% of the world does this to some extent. Like, it, it literally is, like, this is a fucking hack world. These people will absolutely just put this out. It's really about how close you can get to somebody and if they'll let you in. Because I'm more interested on what's on the inside or at least what your thoughts are, the deeper. And you don't ask, you don't push for that. You don't try to find that out with those people. I don't try to push it. I mean, I'll, I'll, you'll naturally end up in conversations where I'll contribute, and through that contribution of what I'm thinking about something, it is now sitting here on the table, would you like to contribute? Would you like to enrich this conversation on this topic? Mm -hmm. Would you like to tell me what you think? Mm -hmm. And they always avoid, because defining their viewpoint or, 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 or anything like that is polarizing. Mm -hmm. And it's like being a politician. You don't want to come out on any particular side until you figure out which one's the right one. But that's, but then like, what? Okay, okay. So I was going to say right now that that's, those are the people you want to sort of provoke or get to the heart of or kind of challenge. And that's what you're saying is like completely uncomfortable. It can be. I mean, what you're going to end up doing as a stand-up, because I think you're good, is you're going to end up finding a niche of people that are going to, understand that you're pushing them and part of that discomfort honestly is exhilarating it's fun and and then you're brought you're whipped back to to sort of reality that with the punchline comes in or, or or there's an irony to it a sarcasm to it and if you don't see that they're not going to get you mm -hmm. and in conversation with people if they don't see what you're doing content you're providing, all you're doing is making them uncomfortable, and they, by extension, that discomfort makes them go like, oh, okay, I better, I don't want to have to make a choice here, I don't want to reveal who I am here, I, I'm just trying to put out this image of who I am, so I can be network-oriented, I, I can have a million friends, but not one of them would help me move, you know, like, that's kind of what they want, mm -hmm. whereas, like, mm -hmm. me and you tend to have, I, I would guess, a handful of really good friends that we could absolutely call right now to say, oh, help me with this, and you're best this. They would do it in a heartbeat, mm -hmm. but it's like, uh, you know, when I, I, I always, I'm always like, look out for the for the person on Facebook who's got 5,000 friends. <laughs> like, look out for them, because, I mean, unless you're actually a stand-up or in the entertainment mm -hmm. industry where you mm -hmm. just pay, it becomes basically a fan page. If you're just a human being, what those people do is they, they ingest people, and they friend them, and they like them, and they hang out a bit, and then they just pass through their lives. It's just it's just a cycle. They're just constantly digesting and spitting up people, because every time you get too close to who they actually are, well, then they need to kind of move on. It becomes a, it becomes a series of cosmetic friendships. I feel, I feel like, uh, like, like you're one of the few people who like you. I mean, in a way, it was kind of, it was so, um, like you were saying, like, you're like this, and you're like this to me, that it was kind of jokey, but it was also very serious. Like, it, 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 it wasn't in the course of conversation. You're just like, you know what? This is about you, and, like, boom, 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 yeah. which was refreshing and kind of, yeah, it was uncomfortable, but I, like, I, like, recognizing that discomfort. Um, 
And I think that generally, uh, I received that sort of, you know, someone, you know, creates this questioning in me. That's from like my parents, especially, mm. and my family. Like no one else asks me those these types of questions, and that that's very. I notice like it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but I, I I think that that's complicated because you know who you are in the eyes of the people you're closest to. Like that's 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 much harder to take than just some comic, you know. Yeah, I mean, and they can ultimately question you for who you actually are, or somebody is doing it just like an amateur has only known you for a month or so, but they're asking you a question that literally has no format besides the image they've painted and created in their mind as to who you are. It's always been fun to me to have some... I mean, this, there was a long run there for like a good nine months where I had like amateur comics who were really just passionately trying to uh, define themselves in the community and get on the right shows and all that stuff. And I was I was uh, very well known as like someone you don't screw with. Uh, this guy's an asshole. And they'd see me dealing with hecklers. They'd see me pull off these crazy jokes. So what happened is uh, I built an aura, if you will, of this thing that, that they wanted to then, if I could beat Dom, if I could be his nemesis, then mm -hmm. this would actually make me rise up. Uh, I had... Like, I li literally had three comics in about, I'm saying, nine months. Like one literally in my face was like, yeah, I'm like your nemesis. It bothers you so much that I'm around. Really? Yeah, and I, and I looked. I couldn't believe it, and I was like, you're serious. That's hilarious to me. You're not going to see who that was, hey? Uh, Scott McClain. He, he's out now. He has kids. I don't know. Okay. But he was like, yeah, it bothers you. And I was like, you know, you're not even, like, dude, what you're trying to do right now is if you're challenging... 50 cent to a rap battle on YouTube. It only benefits you to have that rap battle. So why the fuck would I... Like, there's no benefit to me to interact with you. And it's like, oh, well, we're going to go after each other and roast each other or, 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 or be antagonistic with each other. It's like, I can't even be bothered to, to do that. It's boring to me. You're nobody, and mm -hmm. it doesn't benefit me. And it's not interesting to me because I, I, I don't get any... A challenge from even debating with you. It's 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 boring. And then like, you know, I've had others beyond that who would just yeah, they they would try to be fighting with me. And like, you know, they'd say, Oh, you're fighting with me or or uh, the other one's like, Oh, you're jealous with me, but they're all like a year in and I'm like, Look, I don't care and then almost to a T, almost every one of these people, when I would just call them out, was like, I know what you're doing is bullshit because I don't care. They transition to what has happened to me several times, they start calling me Comedy Dad. And they'll message me on Facebook. And they'll ask me for help. How do I get into this show? How do I do this? How, what about this? I did okay, this. so they, I they respect you. I mean, they res this is why they chose... I mean, you're saying that they chose to, you know, put themselves up against you because they didn't like you or something like this. But it's also... It's just mainly a sign of respect. Now, I think it's probably because I didn't crush them then. Because I could have. I could have, like, really been a pain in the ass for them. It's like, they, they didn't realize the fight they were picking was with somebody who could actually fuck with them, you know? Fuck with them in more way. Well, I mean, to, just in public, I could eviscerate them just verbally. I could tear them down. I also more aligned with all the people they want to be friends with, and if they got an issue with me, then those people are going to have an issue with them. Mm -hmm. And then if I, if I, and I've never done this, but I'm like, I've seen it done, where someone who's so petty that they'll tell someone on the upper end, oh, this person's piece of shit, and here's why. And then that person for like two years suffers because they can't get into the right rooms because there's just a bad image across the board. Right. Right? Right. You can poison a level that they don't even know exists <laughs> yet. 
you can poison the stratosphere and they can't ever get out. That I've seen it done. I've seen people need to leave a city to get back to where they should be. Really? Yeah, yeah. You, like, it's just, it, there are bullies in, in stand-up. And actually, I, I really, it's rare that you see them, but I love tearing apart bullies. I love it. Whenever there's somebody who's actually just going after other people and getting pleasure off of it. Um, I, yeah, for sure, I love I love wrecking those people. I, I, I love going after them and, and exposing them and, and making it awkward for them. And, and I happen to be a patient man when it, when it comes to that. So I don't do it just when I see you do it. I just catalog it in my head. I'm like, it's going to be a point where you do something and I'm going to slam you with about six things that I know you've done. Question mm-hmm. everything about you and it'll spin you on your heels. And hopefully you stop <laughs> because it's not right. I don't like bullies. I can definitely people I think would sometimes have called me a bully. But I I I just kinda like I want it to be either honest or at least transparent. I, I don't like the half told story. I don't like the that this person did this and you go, Well, why would they hurt you that way? Why would they attack you that way? And then the beginning of the story is always shrouded in mystery. It's like, I don't know, they're just crazy. And you have to dig deep and ask other people to figure out, oh, well, this person antagonized the other person to the point that they did this. So they're just sort of subtracting their existence in, in the narrative. They're, they're somehow, oh, this happened in a vacuum. It just happened to me. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, no, you did this, and now you're, you're, you're sort of removing accountability. I, I, I hate that. I hate removal of accountability. You don't learn a fucking thing. And whenever you're sort of directing anything that would come to you is like, well, you, this probably happened because you made this choice, but they say, well, this choice, I refuse to own it, so I'm going to throw it out here. It's, and, and it's a very common thing to have it be like, uh, I mean, for female comics right now, and some of them are right because there is an odd sort of alignment for female comics in, in, in the sense that they aren't all, some of them aren't always going to be accepted right away. Others go very rapidly up the chain. But there's a, I'd say on the amateur level, there's this, this thing that happens where they go up and they bomb, and they'll audibly say, uh, it's because it's an all-male audience, or it's because they're not supporting me, or it's because of misogyny, or... They'll say go, it's on stage? No, no, they'll say it afterwards. They never okay. say it on stage, but they'll, they'll comment on that, and, and not every time. Sometimes it's true because they, someone would have said they've done something that was really kind of really gross, but... More often than not, it's them subtracting the accountability of the bomb from themselves. There's so many comments. It's always like, oh, the audience, or yeah. like the audience is crap. And exactly, exactly. But I'm saying this one is, is something I've just seen a repeated pattern because it actually gets more politicized. It's not feminist oriented. Oh, okay. So it's even it's hard to be like, oh, it's always the audience. And as a comic, you'll know, and you're like, man, hey, that's like the tenth time you've said that. <laughs> you can't do that. But what you go is like, you know, it's the men, they're not supporting me, misogyny, it's a man's world, it's a boy's club, and you go, well, come on, that's like 10 times in a row, well, oh, actually, I'm not disagreeing with you, I'm disagreeing with feminism now, and disagreeing with feminism is a much more charged issue, so here we are, where I'm going to lose this battle because all they have to do is be like, oh, what, you're a misogynist, and now you can walk around with that moniker on your Well, head. I mean, I think the aim is pretty easy to defend that. Well, it can be and it can't be because what ends up happening is you can defend yourself against it and uh, very well, and and then all they really still have to do is just say it, and the, the facts don't matter. The narrative they but remove accountability. The, yeah, but I think the people who know you, I'm just I think that the people who know you will will 
they're not going to believe that slur. And that's why, that's why I also find weird about this whole, like, poisoning the upper, you know, the upper levels of a, you know, this stand-up, well, I've never the stand-up strata, but, but, like, why would the people above listen to these things? Like, I know a comic, like, there's one comic that I know, and everyone speaks poorly of him. We can talk about him later. Sure. And every time I see him, I'm trying to figure it out. And I'm always like, I kind of like, like, I like this guy. The first time I met him, he was kind of, he kind of, he's so self-assured. And that's kind of jarring. And that I'm always a little bit suspicious of. Mm. But just, I think, you know, he means well. And he's giving me helpful advice. And he's always asking me how, how I'm doing in a, gen- in a genuine manner, I feel. And so I feel like this is one of those people that people, these guys that people like to slag. But I don't know. You make your own judgments. You do. So. I mean, you kind of have to. But I, I will listen to, I'll listen to the lay of the land. And then decide if I'm going to be friends with them or not. And then I usually just try to judge them by their actions. Okay. Actions to me are much more important. Like, there's a lot of honey mouth fuckers in stand up who will say the lovely things and, and give information and stab you in the back in a heartbeat. Like, some of the people that I know on the upper end who are definitely just as desperate as any one of us to break through, mm-hmm. I. I I think they kill their firstborn baby. I think they eat their own baby to make it to the next level. And they put out uh, positivity, and they're nice, and they're friends, and all that stuff. And they they would stab their best friends in the back if they knew it would get them to that next level. Because what I kind of I kind of like the idea of like the society of misfits, and I kind of feel as though this is like stand-up is one of the few realms in society where you can actually like do whatever you want and possibly get away with it like you're so, like you know if you're a writer like i even like i don't know you know i was reading something from 60 years ago and the language there and like the graphic not it's not like it's not like pornographic but just the desires that are being expressed mm-hmm. and the way that he talks about like wanting to fuck this and that. It's just like, oh my God, look, I can't get away with that stuff on stage. Mm. So I think there's, there's, that's a definite another point there. But I just feel like uh, comics should be more accepting of these weird behaviors if they're, if they're not hurtful. I mean, if they're hurtful, they're hurtful. But, uh, I, I think there's another thing about you, though, that uh, you should consider. And it, it's odd. I remember when I was in sales, I've seen this. It's a, uh, you're too smart, and thusly you don't act enough. I think I think you overthink. You overthink, and you you sit on the edge thinking about it for a long time, and sometimes you don't act. Sure. And I think that can be a a real problem because ultimately you do have to appreciate that stupid people act, and they act quickly. And sometimes that's exactly what needs to be done. They just need to have acted. Whereas someone like yourself, who is thoughtful, and I mean, if I bring up a thought and you talk about it with me, and I bring up a challenge to you, you'll, you'll spend more time on trying to understand why I think that, or question the base of uh, the argument or my view in the world, than choosing to do anything about it. But that's why is that? That's my problem for me. That's a problem for others. That's the problem. If I have a problem with you, that's your problem. <laughs> okay, but that's okay. Okay, I see. I see. Okay. Well, you have you have that that malfunction, and I I, I similarly have it, uh, or have had it in flavors 
you know, and sometimes you overthink it to the point that the opportunity is gone. Oh, yeah. You know, and oh, yeah. the, the stupid people don't do that. Yeah, they, don't, they don't think about it. They don't think about it because they're too stupid to think what's the thing right after that. I know, like today I was, I know, today I was thinking, like this notion of like finish whatever you're working on, like finish the product, don't be, you know, but then as well I'm like, ah, oh, like, but you're, you want to put out a good product. So yeah. like, you know, I don't want to put out, like this podcast, like I, I don't want to put out a shit episode. Yeah, I know. But I want to put out more episodes because each one you learn something and I don't, like, so. But I think sometimes you just got to head in the right direction. Like, I mean, I started a podcast, I've only done two, and then I've got to get a third one done. But I, I, I've been delayed more by logistics than by the actual, you know, content, I suppose. But I've definitely tried to overthink, I've, I've overthought it a couple times, and then mm-hmm. I go and do it, and I'm like, well, everything I just thought went out the window, <laughs> because it's what the uh, the content the other person brings to you is what's going to form that. You can try to shape it and move oh, it yeah, a certain sure, way, sure. but fuck it, you're screwed. Like, oh, yeah. here's the theme, let's run, and you just got to go. And if you don't do it, I mean, like, there, there's so much crap that's out there in comedy right now that's about fucking farts and being wacky and aren't I a fucking nerd and it's all blah, 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 blah. It's just, it's regurgitated. People vomiting on each other in a podcast where they just sit around talking about things and wacky stories. I don't understand that. Maybe this is, I feel like maybe we've gone into into that. They have the biggest following. They have the biggest following and the most fans because it's uh, comedy that questions nothing. It doesn't make you even slightly uncomfortable. That's stupid. It's not thoughtful. But then why? But then why? But that's. But that's okay. That's fine. Well, why don't why blockbusters exist? But that's fine. That's not. That's not why I want to do this. So if I'm going to do that, I might as well go back into like a desk job, for Christ's sake. Yeah, but that's even with a deeper hell for you, and you know it. It's really weird, actually. You know, (laughs) I think I think the right desk. Well, you think think that this podcast right now isn't worth it because. No, that's not. I, I, I don't think that this podcast is just fucking cotton candy and fucking summer blockbusters. No, it's not that, but it's more stand-up talk than it's supposed to. You know, it's supposed to be. Yeah, I don't I, but we're not. We're also not. Like, I'm trying to pull analogies out and examples <laughs> that are within the realm of us having a common understanding. But I mean, yeah, I see what your point is. I don't like talking about stand-up on these things either. It, it, it's just that your world is that. I mean, yeah. your world is essentially. Surrounded by these things, and if you if you want to know where I take exception or, or oh, here's a thing you do, and like this is where I see you do it, it's going to be context driven. Yeah, I I do though. I mean, there's a question as to whether like these big comics, like you go tune into them because you like their stand up, or you or you like is yeah. it because you like them like it's like cult of person personality cult? Like I wonder, like no one comes here to listen to stand up. This is not about stand-up. This no. is about like a particular I know, know, it not a I, I way of life or something. I hate it when it does that. I, I hate it when it... Because there's so many stand-ups right now that just do the same fucking podcast about stand-ups and talk about their bullshit. Who cares? I, I'd rather have it be like, well, this is fucking uncomfortable. Here's mm-hmm. a flaw I have. Because most of the things that we've talked about here that I see in you, I also see in me in different flavors or yeah. in, in levels of exaggeration. But... I mean, I can appreciate what you're doing and how you're fucking up. Uh, I can also appreciate what you're doing right. But you are fucking up. You're fucking up, like, a lot. Because you're funny. And you should be better known by now. And you should be ingratiated deeper by now. And you are not. And largely that's driven by who you are to the people that matter. 
and something I genuinely suffer from and suffered from because I also am largely uncompromising. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Like you have to like, yeah. you have to like, beat yourself up a little bit and and and, and censor yourself because no one changes from the outside. No one changes you. You've got to change yourself. That's that's uh, just a general fucking rule. So I'm not coming here to tell you, hey, here's what you do. Go fix it. I'm like, well, fuck. If you want to, you go ahead and fix it. Like, but that you. I don't think you will. I don't think you'll think about it forever and do nothing. Because that's ultimately the big problem. I think you're very smart. If you used a shit ton of big words in this podcast and talked about a book you read, big fucking whoop, you're not going to change anything. Yeah, but that's... But, like, oh, my God. But I feel as though... I think you play a chess game and you sit there on the last couple moves staring at the board, really, 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 really thinking about what the other guy's going to do, and then you never move and the guy leaves. I think that there's a general... (laughs) I think there's a general misconception. I think that I'm perceived as far more like that than I actually am. You... Um, And so... You'll use, like, you know... I I usually... I I I played a game with you for a little while and I never told you. (laughs) Uh, It was... uh, For me, I was like... How long does it take David Hetty to say misanthrope? <laughs> there was like a month where you just couldn't stop saying really? it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, and no one else was. This just, it wasn't like a buzzword or anything. It's like it had come from something. You, you'd read something and used like the use of it or something but like that. But that makes me seem so shallow then. That's not a, that's not a positive thing. That's, then you're yeah, like, almost a cop is foolish. Yeah, it did for me, but I know I was the only one noticing it. I just play it in my head. I, just, I was like, and three, two, one, misanthrope. There we go. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, but that's why people are like, oh, is that guy intelligent? Well, he must be. He's thrown around misanthrope all the time. <laughs> like, that's it's, ridiculous. It's, it's like going high, a higher vocabulary uh, has immediately the understanding that you're more intelligent. If I actually have to reference an index of words in my brain I haven't used since, like, English in college. But so what? Then, I like being surrounded by, Of like, course, but it makes them feel uh, them, you know, the people you're speaking with. It yeah. makes them feel either that you're smart yeah. or that they're dumb or both. There's no personality cult. Fuck. Is it ever... I mean, I saw a girl the other day. Uh, I was bartending with her, actually. It's the random things. We're doing a catering thing, right? Yeah. And I could not get over how amazing she was. Her her energy was incredibly positive. <laughs> she, I mean it. She she smiled through everything. We, like, we have to set up this bar, so there's a lot of heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. And she was hustling, like... More than us, she was happy and giggling while doing it. She was dancing here and there. She was physically gorgeous, mm-hmm. and she was so bloody positive. And then, as the night wrapped down, we're breaking on the bar. The DJ is still playing this music just because he's contractually obligated to. And she started dancing to like a Backstreet Boys song. And what ended up happening is, for a good twenty minutes, all these other caterers. She just kept going on and grabbing them and making them dance with her. And then there was about 50 caterers just dancing. And we're all supposed to be tearing this shit down. Mm-hmm. But she created a beautiful moment from just positive nature. And I still, I, I will never forget. Well, never, that's ridiculous. But, I, <laughs> but I, I, I can't help but be like, that is so impressive to me. To be so incredibly engaging and, and positive mm-hmm. and, and and cosmetically, empirically gorgeous, but it's not even that. It's the content of this. This person is so brilliant, and I can't help but want to know this person and sure. just be shocked at how great this person is. And then when she came over randomly to say goodbye to me, I couldn't help but blush. I was like, I'm a fucking hideous lizard of a shitty human being. 
I have antagonism in me, pain that transitions to hate that must be managed. I don't know where this person comes from, but I can see the cult of personality because I would want to follow that person. I'd like to know how to be that happy and make people that happy. But I don't think that just comes because you learn it. I think it's how you're raised and what your life is like. Maybe your inherent charisma. I don't know what it is. But yeah, some people just want to follow somebody who makes them feel good about being them. Well, what's the lesson to be learned from this? Like, uh, you're not like her, I'm not like her. Yeah. So what do you do? You suffer? No, you don't suffer. I think you go deeper into who you are, and you find those people who will appreciate you. And you don't have to. Like, like someone's, you know, if you appeal to like 2% of the population, you, you know, you've you got, you got a career. Yeah, if you can find those 2%. Yeah. Yeah, because that's that's also the challenge now. Everyone's trying to find that two percent. But I, I I guess I'm trying to align it with you know the other people who put out their product are putting it out in the in that fake way I talked about where it's like that they're not even they, when you seal the real product, which is her, this woman I'm talking about. The real this, what do you mean the real? I mean like she's amazing like or she's she genuine? Is like I, uh, I mean I'm assuming a lot about this person, but the archetype of that person is like you're so engaging and positive and giving in this moment. And, and I think that, that that draws people and yeah, you can't help perform it, of course. But if you're not that person, yeah. you can put on the air of being that person. But and the problem like, is when you have that air of that person, people like me and you see right fucking through it and we actually find it irritating. It's like an eyelash in your eye. Like It bothers me. It's like a high-pitched whine. Mm-hmm. And I can tell that you're not that person. You're just acting like that person. And a lot of people put out that product as a human being. And so... There's only probably a small percentage of people who are actually genuinely as charismatic as this girl I'm referencing. Right. And the rest of us are like me and you. And then you choose, do I put out a fake thing and then buy into what the fake world is? Right. Or do I find it all irritating and thusly have to deal with the irritation and dig down inside myself and try to make this stuff all make sense? Yeah, to me? you try to, you try to, you try to, have, you have to sort of, you have to find the, the world in which you're most comfortable, in which you work. It's, 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 it's rare that you find a person who can function in any context. And you have to find that and make that your place. Mm. And I think that's why people move cities. That's why people change jobs. That's why people get divorced. Or, you know, certain apartments don't, don't jive with them. True. I also think that's why people stay in marriages that are flawed and do jobs they hate. Because they need to, they're essentially aiming to have, you know, an apartment with Ikea furniture or a condo somewhere, the right car probably aiming for a BMW and, 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 you know, the vacation to Cuba and all that stuff. It's Honestly, it's all hack. And I think that they need to do that and go to the right restaurants and see the right movies and ingest the right media. And, you know, all that stuff of, mm-hmm. is is about maintaining that image of that person that they're aiming to be as opposed to just sitting down and being like, man, I fucking suck sometimes. Let's go talk about me with me. They spend more of their time engaging with people who are just as happy surrounding themselves with the camouflage of charisma and the camouflage of success. Do you still, like, you, I mean, left a very safe and, like, yeah. well-paying job used to continue with stand-up, yeah, to pursue it seriously. I panic every day now, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I can see that, like, you gave up, like, I think we're kind of rare in this, in this field because I don't think others... A had the option of doing something like that, or even in fact left something that yeah. they you know they already had. I I talk to people now who are of my age and stand up and <laughs> haven't made it, and they're panicking because they've never done anything else. 
Like uh-huh. they've never done anything. Uh-huh. And sometimes that comes to greatness. Like I remember talking to Pat Thornton like two, three years ago, but he was like, if this doesn't work for me, I literally don't have anything else that I'm good at. Right. And there's a, a moment where you're like, I really hope this works. And it's working for him. He's, 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 you know, he works his ass off and he's a good comic. Um, but there's others who are like, this is not working for me and I don't even know what I can do. And I'm talking about like, maybe I can go be an insurance adjuster. Like, really? maybe I can go do this. Maybe I can do that. And, and, and you know that perhaps comedy is not for them uh, or, or maybe that they're just doubting what they're doing. But you're like, I gave up your dream. Right now your dream is to get out. I gave up that to be in. And I love what I do. It scares me all the time mm-hmm. that I may have a feeble ending to my life with not much notoriety. Can you go back though if you want? I probably could within the next year, and then after that, it's a, a humming and hawing on what you're kind of out of the game for a while, and then you get some entry position, and it'd probably take me to 40 to get back up to where I was at 35, mm-hmm. you know, or at 33, actually. I mean, if I stayed on the track that I was at, I'd be a VP of sales, or at least a director by now. I'd be I running a team. But you wouldn't be here having this conversation with me. Yeah, I know, but I, I, <laughs> I, I'd be having a conversation with some sales rep where I've analyzed why they're fucking up. You have to understand, I've seen the problem you have uh, because I've had it, but I've also had to coach somebody. And the whole being too smart to act thing, there's so many fucking smart sales dudes that I'd have to sit across from and be like, look, you have six opportunities here. They're all good opportunities. And you keep talking to me about what you're thinking about doing, but you're not doing anything. And they're like, well, we really need to get this, and I want to get a sense of this. And it's like, no, act. Act now. Pick up the phone, call, ask for the deal. Ask them for it. It's time. It's been nine months. Ask them for it. And I'll force them to do it, and they'll feel uncomfortable because they were never going to do that. Right. They're just oh, hoping yeah. it would come into their lap at some point, and then they'll ask, and they'll get a yes or a no, and then suddenly they have three opportunities that sold and three that were jerking them around. But you, you have to, people, you need to act. You have to act. All the talk and all the understanding and thinking about it and have deep thoughts about the whole fucking thing. Everything's driven by action. Nothing happens in a business until there is a sale. No one gets a salary. No one gets infrastructure. There is no life insurance. There's nothing until the sale fucking happens. So go make the sale happen. And that's life basically comes down to the action. If you sit there, nobody gives you anything. You must act. You must go out and act. And when you Mm -hmm. overthink, you never accomplish. You never go and do it. You can sit and think and saturate yourself in it and then, okay, here, I'm going to go do this. But you need to go do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to. Otherwise, you know, you you started doing something when you started doing this podcast and doing shows and And, booking shows again. And, uh, yeah. And And I think that's more interesting. Yeah, it's more interesting. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, and also kind of... Because for a while there, you were like, you were running on a treadmill. You were standing still, basically. Like, I'd say you were hustling, but running just standing there, like well, standing also, running. I mean, I still feel in between, like, I, I kind of had a little, I, and maybe it's comics who don't have anything else to fall back on in a sense, because I feel there's a great freedom there. Like, yeah. each time I put out a podcast episode, or go do a show, or put anything online, I'm further alienating myself from the legal world, and making it more difficult for me to go back. So yeah. I think this inhibits me, 
like uh, you like people are like, oh, you're always doing like crazy things and taking risks, you know, on stage. And I'm like, no, like I'm doing the most. Like no, like there's so many weirder yeah. things and that I would people, want to do. The people in that corporate world, well, or rather, sorry, I should say, uh, the people who are in this creative world with stand up, they don't realize that. They don't realize that. Realize what? What you're doing. So I can see what you're talking about. Where you're like, yeah, you're putting up walls of insulation between you and going back, uh, because. I mean, come on, it's 2013. Uh, what'll end up happening is uh, someone as an HR person will Google your name. Oh, yeah. And they'll find sure. all this content. That it, uh, there was a comic who very fleetingly now does shows here and there. Uh, but he uh, he was actually like an insurance broker, I think. And then he was kind of going up the ranks and he got pulled into the HR office. That's what happened to me. That literally, that's literally that's what happened like, to me. We found this online and it misrepresents our company and we need to that's, take this down. That's what happened to me. Yeah, and I've had it happen. Really? And they're like, well, you know, I was going to just for laughs, and they're like, well, look, we still need you to be available because the deal's a really big <laughs> deal. And I was like, I'm taking my vacation, I'm taking two weeks, and they're like, yeah, but this is a big deal for this company, and it was a big deal for the company. I was with John Hastings in Just for Laughs in Montreal, and I mean, fuck, man, an hour before I got on my showcase, I was on the phone dealing with a client, and, right. and then the next morning I was still dealing with, I had my laptop, I was sending off fucking spreadsheets and reports and right. details, conference calls, I'm sitting there trying to, like, have a great fucking time, and I still got to see a lot of good shows, but I was completely tethered to my job, and mm-hmm. at the point you realize, you're like, I fucking can't do both. But now, when you left it, did that free you? Me uh, for a while. So like, you say different, more things. Capacity strains all over the place. Yeah, but I think that, I think that, like you know, again, the crazier or the deeper into who you are, you allow yourself to be on stage. Mm. Then the recognition, the money, all these will come. And like to be honest, like okay, everyone wants to be higher up, but you're doing well. Like you know, you're getting notoriety by by now, and yeah, you know, touring and and, and everything. I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. I'm not. Doing as well as I'd like to do, but I mean, that's everyone. Right? Sure. You know, I'm sure Louis C.K. when he was blowing up, he was like, oh, I really want to do a TV show. And you're like, there's a gnawing that goes on. And I don't want to make this about stand up, so I mean, like, everyone knows that, you know, anyone can align it with a career trajectory. You're like, okay, well, now that I'm a manager, I want to be a director. Now that I'm a director, I want to be a VP. Right. How can I get the C level? Unless you want to, yeah, I want to work, work for government. Well, okay. the government is like, how can I just not do anything all day? I ran into a, a guy that I articled with yesterday, yeah. um, and he was like, "Man, he's like, you're not, you're not missing anything." And da da da, da. and it's a weird thing. He, you know, other people left. Other people left that security. I was like, "I'm gonna leave that." Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he's just being kind. Well, some Probably. people. I asked him. Actually, I asked him. I said, "Are you just true, or are you just being kind?" He's like, "A little bit of both." No, that makes sense because some people really appreciate the the comfort of what I mean. I live in Ottawa. And uh, the government profession is one that kills uh, a soul like no other. Because ultimately what you do is you come out of university and you're maybe like anywhere from like 22 to 25, depending on what you did. You have some degree. It's usually some bullshit thing like English Lit or some fucking new media studies, communications, criminology. Okay, what do I do with this? You look around for jobs. Can I find something? I find something. Oh, okay. Uh, couple things here, it's government, okay, I know this person through this, this, okay, I get in the government, now I'm working for the government, I'm working for the Foreign Affairs Department, I'm articling, I'm making $70,000 and I'm like 23 years old, mm-hmm. this is great, I'm going to get a condo, okay, you know what, I got to fill up this condo, this is my gear furniture, you know what, I still feel dead inside because 
I don't do anything that matters because I write these reports that no one reads and ultimately even if they are read they're ignored well, I need to find fulfillment I need to find someone to care for and love okay I found someone I found a girl she's very much in line with you know hey yeah we're both in line with just trying you don't to think anyone likes it you don't think anyone really generally likes this though or they're so they, they, they don't see anything outside of it and they don't realize what's happening to them some of them just honestly don't know that they're being eaten by an alligator and like they don't they is the pattern ultimately it comes to fruition where they find uh, someone to be with. Now they need a bigger condo. They still feel empty and dead inside. Now they need kids. Now they need the right kind of car. They need the right kind of vacations. Whatever the fuck, they just keep going. And then all these people around 45, 50, they start saying the same thing. I'm just waiting on that pension. I'm just waiting on that pension. I'm just waiting on that pension. I quit when I need that pension. You know what I'm gonna do when I'm done with this? When I get my pension, I'm gonna go live my dream. I'm going to get the fuck out of this. You know how much? Now they start taking antidepressants because they're right to the very level of how much they can handle in terms of depression and being completely ineffectual as a human being. And your entire contribution to what you do as a job is actually completely useless. And then you finally get your pension and you sit there and go, that's it. I'm going to go do what I want to do. And then you sit there and go, I fucking don't even know what I want. I'm actually nobody now. And you see it. They come out. They're doughy, accountants, pale-faced, just all dressed with clothes from Reitman's and weird fucking golf dad affairs and they all love things that don't matter <laughs> and they just have the money and you know what they do with it is they, they go and they help their kids try to achieve their dreams because they realize that they went after the path of security that literally gave them nothing and they have no content of character and then their kids get spoiled and then we find entitled people who probably <laughs> just do the same thing when they come running back from the and this is a pattern that just repeats and repeats and repeats. And when you are not in that pattern, David, and you call it out to them, they really not like it. One of the harshest, yeah, one of the harshest things I've ever heard anyone say on stage, like ever, it's, it's what, what something Rose said. Mm. And when I say it's something Rose said, you're going to think it's like, you know, dirty or like, you know, yeah, something. Yeah. No, but he just asked some... You know the audience in the front. He's like, "Where are you guys? Where are you guys from?" The group. Like, "Oh, we're we're accountants." And he said, "Oh, living the dream." And he just went went on to the rest of the set. And it was like, "Holy Christ!" Like someone like Rouse who says whatever he wants on stage, he doesn't give a shit what anyone thinks. Mm -hmm. And he said to these guys, "Like, fuck you again this way." And yeah. I was like, "How can you?" Like, it's a. I was just like aghast. Like these are the serious things that I am in awe of when I see a comic on stage. Yeah. It's not the dirty stuff, it's the real like existential bringing to light the, you know, the difference between, uh, anyway, many things, but certainly the performer and the audience. Can I tell you the most uh, aggressive thing I've ever said to somebody that actually worked very well, I was shocked and horrified when I did. Sure. It wasn't stand-up. It was uh, a person that I had an issue with because I didn't like her. She was very, she was one of those social people who just ingest people and then spits them out like just like groups of friends and one groups of friends. And uh, she was annoyed at me for something, but I, I was just drunk enough to have my words and just drunk enough to not really dull them. And uh, I just looked at her in a room full of people and she was arguing with me and was being dramatic and I just looked at her and I went, nobody loves you. And I just said it and there was a hush and she was angry. She looked at me and I was like, look at this room. No one here is even defending me. Everyone 
feeling is looking away from me and you right now because they don't want to be questioned as to whether or not that's true. Not one of these people is going to stand up to you and no one's going to say a single word because no one loves you, including your parents. And she just cried. And I was like, you know, nobody's consoling me. I think you should go home. Wait a second. Wait, how old were you? sort of different, I mean, it's, it's not totally unrelated, but I like the idea of, like, don't look at how, what anyone else is doing, and, like, don't look how they're they're getting what they want, moving up, like, you have to be focused on your own race, mm-hmm. and just, like, keep these blinders on, and I think it's really, because you can't, you can't take anyone else's path. No, you can't. There's only, you know, there's just rules you have to apply. Like, there's certain hard, fast rules, like, never, never take a no from someone who doesn't have the power to give you a yes, you know? This is just a a thing you should know. Because when someone, like, say you're trying to get on at some club and, like, the, you're talking to a guy and he's like, no, sorry. And the thing is, you have to ask yourself, if that guy wanted to put you on, could he? No, he couldn't. He'd have to call somebody. You shouldn't be talking to that person. But they'll always act like they have that power. They always act a certain way that they have that power. You, you t- going back to this, like, you know, the growing old and complacent in your whole life, like, there's this notion that. I heard someone say, like, a comic doesn't have a midlife crisis. A comic is a midlife crisis. Well, that's kind of, I mean... It's, it's a perpetual midlife crisis. It's a whole crisis. crisis. It's a whole crisis. I mean, you know, there are certain things, like, you have a midlife crisis at, at 20. I mean, hopefully you live longer than this. Or you have this wake-up call, like, the world that you... The terrible, terrible, horrific picture you paint, mm. you recognize very early. And so you have... You cut off this crisis because you recognize the problem early on. I suppose. Do you ever feel terrified of being alone? Yes. Because I have that. I have panic <coughs> moments there. Where I'm like, you know what? you got to be a pretty strong person to be close to me. And like, if you, you have to imagine, like, yes, of course, there's inner layers to me and all that junk, and I can be very uh, tender and caring and, and loving with a really good woman or whatever it is. Uh, in, in close relations, but the the thing about it is, uh, I am often intolerable. It just I I ruin my own relationships when I don't wish to. 
I just seem almost incapable of managing that. Where I, I just sort of, I mean, I've had long committed relationships, um, but when they end, I'm very sad, of course, and I, I really have felt that I've put in my best effort. But it's vestigial parts of who I am and where I came from that seem to almost always work counterintuitive to what I want. You know, and this isn't a function of your choices to have work or anything like this. Like it's not like I mean, it, you know, I, I constantly now I see these comments, long-term relationships breaking up. It makes sense, and you're out all night, oh, yeah. and like all this crap. And like, what do you bring? Well, I mean, home? We, we both know who we're probably talking about. I'm not going to say his name, but when you see a comic enter into stand-up, like my buddy uh, Trevor, actually is probably good. It's the first time I saw it. He started doing stand-up probably at like thirty mm-hmm. something. I'm guessing. And, uh, you know, he'd already married, house, talking about kids, gets into stand-up, starts doing stand-up, and it's always the same thing. The wife's out to support, the wife's out to support, the wife's coming out sometimes, the wife stops coming, they come out more and more and more. You start to hear murmurs of, oh, I gotta go, and my wife, ugh, they're still there, they're still there, and then there's, we're separated, we're getting divorced, da 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 and I've seen that pattern for marriage, for engagements, for the long-term girlfriend. Makes sense to me. Well, it's it's it, you know why that happens though. It's because you're changing and you're likely going down this path where it's all uncertain. It's about creative and all this stuff. Of uh, the woman that is with you in that moment, she got on the track with you because she was like, "We're both aligned for I want a house, I want kids, and I want a life, I want a, I, I want a dog, all that stuff." And you start going this way, really, jokes are more important than me. Right. And once you remove a, a person in a relationship from the direction of where they're going, your, your story's changed now, the end point is no But, but that's not why you fear being alone. I, I, I fear being alone for, I mean, probably just because you're honestly, as a human being, you're wired to not want to be alone, right? Yeah, but not if, yes, but not everyone like, feel this terror. They feel like, well, like, I feel a terror because I, I'm more terrified that I'll be, because I've seen it, I've seen it, I've seen like 50, 60 year old comics who have, uh, for whatever reason, sometimes disrespect or sometimes because they, they, you know, like they cheated on their wife or something like that, or they've lost their wife and now they're alone. And they're sixty, and they're they're alone. I think it's a lot harder. I mean, when you know, at this age, you can find you're not going to be alone. So yeah. no, but I also am actually now trying not trying, but I'm finding it very hard to find somebody that has a content to them that is not already obviously engaged with somebody else. But I find that it is easy for me to like it, it's. And I don't even do this now, but I, so I don't want to give the impression. But it's easier for me to have sex than it is to have a relationship. I can, I can get laid. I uh, I can't seem to find someone I'd actually want to continue talking to and engage with and share with. Sex is, sex is sex. Who cares? You can find a fuck buddy, but I, if you're not in a relationship, you're not. Right. There's no, there's no, it, that, there's no support. There's no anything. It's just fucking and. Uh, I don't care for that. I don't. I don't. It's not that I haven't done it. It's that I. I. I just always don't like waking up after this one night stand. And being like, yeah, that's not something that holds appeal. You know, no. indefinitely. No, but I'm like. I guess I'm looking at it more as like you know as as I look at my the length of what is potentially my mortal coil, to 
to go it alone on the back end. I mean, I don't know. It's like, there was like this this dude, this old Indian dude, he did a diner that I was going to when I was still, still dating a, a girl. Like, I was with her for five years, but we'd go to this place like high town or whatever. It was this older Indian man who would come in there. East Indian? East Indian, yeah. And uh, he'd come in there and he was you know, quite old, rather like a little bit of a suit and tie kind of affair. He'd apply it to his food and I'd, I'd see him periodically. And, and he always just looked so full of loneliness. He just looked so lonely. And, uh, and he would talk with the waitress and, and engage, and, and she'd be nice and engage with him and then go. But I found out the back end is like his wife died uh, probably like six years ago. That's what I was going to say. And he was just so alone. And and I, I, I can see, you know how like women are always like, if you're, you know how women be like, you know. <laughs> Every girl in a relationship I've had, one of the first things they, they start to do is uh, change my life. Uh, they, they, and for health reasons, like slow down on drinking, go to the gym, quit smoking, you know, eat better. No, but I, I think that they are sort of profoundly, like, similar to, to us. They're profoundly afraid of, I'm going to be with you, but I want you to be with me. Like, they have such much more of a long-term view. But, like, but this is kind of uplifting, I think. Like, this, you know, the fact that this guy's alone because his wife passed away means that he had no control over whether or not to be alone. So, like, that's liberating. Oh, yeah. I can't. That, this, of course, can be liberating. I, I'm saying that that man, for me, in that moment, is like, uh, uh, that's the first time I ever felt afraid of being alone in the long term. It's like, he just looks so sad. And it seems like such a weight of depression upon him. I don't know what that's like. And that 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 area of, uh, we don't understand it, but it seems horrible. That's what terrifies me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't really know what I would do in that case. Hard to get back out on the market. You know? Right. It, it's hard, I think. I think that's all hard. And, now, wait, wait, you know, let me ask you this. This is great. When was the last time you cried? When was the last time I cried? Um, I don't know. I think it was probably at least, like, I don't think in the past couple of months. Why'd you cry? Uh, oh, maybe... Oh, maybe, I think, alright, I'm having some, like, family therapy session. Yeah, yeah. Oh, probably some tears came out then. Not a lot, but probably some, yeah. So Sitting like, in this very seat. Oh, it was like, uh, like a, yeah. was it family therapy, or was it like a family meeting? It was a fa- family therapy. You have a therapist involved? It was the first time you'd ever done it. Wow. It was, an, it was, an, it was pretty amazing. Did you find a cathartic? Yeah. Did, did it tell you a little bit about yourself too? Uh, I don't. I don't. It probably, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't say that. That's not the first thing that would come to mind. I think that it was. I was better able to understand my family members, and better able to understand the way that they treated me and behaved with me. Man, you should have one of your family members on this. That's what I don't want to do. No. No. Oh. Family members and exes. That's what it's like. Oh, I don't know. That'd be great. I'd, I'd love to have a podcast like this and sit down across from that for five years. 
But like, what's the point? Like, you know, like uh, losing it, like with this, this MTV thing. It's like, eh, like, uh, there's oh, a right. level of intimacy. Yeah, like, there's a certain point where, like, I'm not going to go for myself, for, for my stand-up. Oh, yeah, no, that's stupid. Uh, and losing it for your reference, uh, listeners, is uh, the TV show. <laughs> People telling their story about losing their virginity. Um, I don't want to, anyway, I don't want another story. Anyway, my friends. But, uh, no, I think those, that, that's just, just cosmetic bullshit. That's just sex. When you talk about someone crying, you're like, what happened? Why? You see, you see how you basically answered that question? You were just like, oh, okay, yeah, I've cried recently, like, about this time. Okay, what was it for? Uh, yeah, it was actually a family therapy site. You see how much you're sharing in that? You're telling me that there's issues within your family, right? Yeah. There's clearly an issue because you just acknowledge that it's, it's a therapist, you've gone for professional okay, assistance. Okay, so my, yeah, so right. everyone's family is perfect. I mean. no, 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 I'm saying... The ease with which you share that information yeah. is not, like, you you answered that easily. Yeah. If you were to ask the same questions I just asked yeah. to another person who's yeah. not on that level of comfort or open to that discussion, that's when they don't like you. Because no one likes being asked about, when was the last time you felt torn to shreds mm-hmm. and why? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They'd rather pretend that they didn't cry. But look, I mean, this is very sort of like circumstantial. Like, I'm okay revealing that reason for crying. There are other reasons where I wouldn't, and I wouldn't tell you. Like, maybe you don't even know that was the last time I cried. Well, I suppose if you're lying, I would never know. I mean, I'm gonna, I, there are certain things I'm not going to be uncomfortable with, but maybe, maybe, I, I don't know. I guess that's... I, I cried two days ago at Trevor Thompson's apartment because... He was telling us about his brother's suicide. He's the comic. He's a comic, right? Yeah. He runs the the Mississauga show. No, no, that's uh, John Tetro, I think. It's okay, Trevor's an Ottawa guy. Okay. But uh, he told us the story, and we've known him for years. He never really told us the full story, and I just asked him, and we just started telling, and it was hard to hear, and then. It was weird. It was me and another friend, Alex Wood. This is all comics. And he went through his story. And then we, it's almost like we were hanging around the mic. And I was like, let me tell you mine. And I told him mine. And then Alex told his. And we all at some point cried really? while drinking beer. <laughs> and then uh, we were like, all right, can we get back to jokes now? And then we did. Huh. But it was this weird thing where I honestly, we, we found ourselves in a very cathartic moment knowing a lot more about each other simply because one of us has asked the question. And then when he that volunteered, was shared, He didn't volunteer the story? You, someone asked, asked and he just said... And I asked. Because um, I've teased him about it a million times. And there's he's a comic, he understands. It's just not actually an intent to hurt. You tease him about what? His brother's suicide. Okay. Like I, you know, I've, it's, it's silly, but I was like... I remember, like, I looked at him once because I was giving him shit, and I was like, you know, like, there's a picture of his parents on the wall or something, I'm like, I, I was like, do you think that when they gave birth to you that they were like, uh, well, one of our sons is going to, like, I hope one of our sons kills himself and the other one ruins his life, doing <laughs> right. stand-up or whatever, but he'll laugh his ass off at that, it's dark, <laughs> but he gets it, you know, yeah. but there's a sense, I'm, I'm trying to, encapsulate the sensibilities of the people outside of our world and 
what you do to people who are technically still in our world as, as stand-up artists and stuff, who are not those people. You, I can ask him about suicide. I can ask you about crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can also share a story where it's, it's, it's very painful. It might actually even make me cry or, or it, it may emotionally hit you in the core as well. And we'll still both be conscious there, not thinking about pulling the escape hatch. It's like, get the fuck out of here now, I don't want to do this. Whereas yeah, those people will pull out and lock down or okay. turn themselves off, numb themselves out. And ultimately, that's why you're going to have problems. They're going, you're going, you're basically asking somebody about something that they, they prefer that no one even look at them in that light. They don't want to acknowledge the, the bits of, the places that, like the pain and the depression and the hardships that actually form who we are. They prefer to hide, and they don't like that you're right. looking into them further. You're supposed to just look at them cosmetically and absorb them cosmetically right. and be cosmetically present with them and then move on. And when you go deeper, they either are going to talk to you for real, like we talk, or they're going to take exception to you. And then they'll do a whole bunch of diversion things. They'll, they'll end up debating you on a topic forever because, thank God, we're talking about religion instead of me. You know, mm-hmm. or they'll tell you some dramatic story about their life, but it's something that's on the outside for them to tell because they they you wouldn't want to have any questions directed to you. It's like, well, what about you? And I I see those existing a lot. Do you? <clears throat> wouldn't you like to be privy to the comments uh, that other comics receive from audiences, like after shows? The comments that other comics receive about themselves. Yeah, like I have a life, a lifetime. I have a you know, stand-up careers, whatever time, collection of audience responses, either uh, after a set. Somebody wrote them down. No, 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 no. Just you know, I don't Yeah, and I get a sense of how people respond to what I do, and I like I love to know how different comics, how they're received. By audiences after shows, I'd love that. I'd love to see like whether what I get, everyone gets, or certain people get, or this part they get and they don't, because that also helps you better understand what you do. I um, I guess I'd be curious sometimes. Sometimes I, I mean, oftentimes you see it because you're there and you see the interactions and the praise and whatever they're receiving from the audience at that time. I don't know if this is relevant to what you're saying, but I I don't like talking to people after the show. I don't like it because when I have a good set, you know, when I I got into Sasaga this weekend, I had a fucking awesome set, and I was emceeing, and I did, I did really well. The whole show was great, and, but I, I particularly have done incredibly well, and I went into the back and sat in the back and hit myself for a bit, and it came out when the numbers were diluted enough. And, and I dealt with, like, you know, there, there was like three or four girls who were like clearly just throwing themselves at me and wanting me to go to some party with them and doing that thing where they drunkenly put their boobs on you and then they take pictures and they want they want a picture with just me and him and all this stuff and you know how do I get in touch with all this junk? But I hated it. I hate it because it's not me. You're responding to a caricature, an exaggeration of what I've done, and especially in the MC role where I'm supposed to be a cheerleader. I, I don't like that you wish to digest me further as okay, some sort of uh, other cosmetic thing. I'd, oh. ra- I'd rather 
I'd rather talk to you. Yeah, okay, so that's a particular type of person you don't want to speak to after the show. I just find I'm always routinely subjected to that. I mean, it's, it's more rare that I'll get somebody who's got a content to the comment uh, or our wishes to to share an experience that's more than just cool, man. Or just know? like no one, you, no, one can, no one can give you a good job. Like, I really appreciate what you did. They can do that as long as they're gone after that. Because, like, I really don't like when they stare at me, too, and they're like, do it again. You know, like, I'm supposed to still be doing this monkey See, thing. Like, this, this, like, this thing drunkenly pressing their breasts up against you, like, that isn't something that I, I've received. Like, that's something that I was like, okay. It's a rarity for me. I'm not saying it's a kind of con, continual thing, but they're also doing that because they think I'm something I'm not. I'm, I'm an MC and I'm acting like I'm having fun for the sake of the show. But in the middle, I'd be much more dark and I'd push them further. Mm-hmm. Be more in line with what you do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't like that, so I don't like talking to them. And then when I do MC, or when I middle, and they, they, they happen to like me, they're going to come up and be like, hey, cool, that was a great thing. I'm cool with that. I don't like it where they're like, whoa, that was crazy. Hey, hey you want to have this joke? Can I tell you this joke? You can keep it if you want. Or other okay. I just find those kind of, I know that I have to talk to these people because they are ultimately are people who are my fans, but sometimes uh, they're disturbingly simplistic. And I, 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 I can't talk to them. I, I find it, and I, and I don't want them to feel rejected by me either, but I, I just, I, I'm, Everything I did, I did on stage for you, and I put it out there. I don't want to be a monkey boy and then fucking have you continually going, do your next trick, I want another trick, because I kind of already did that for you. Okay, but then these are the people that I rarely feel that way after, after whenever someone comes to Well, I, I think that people would either come up to you and go, that was great, or they come up to you and go, that was really dark and <laughs> scared the shit out of me, or I take exception to the fact that you referenced abortion or rape or yeah. single I mothers, don't you get this? I get that much less now. Which was a good thing, I think. Probably because I think people are starting to actually appreciate. It. I think you're probably becoming better at communicating the irony of the sarcasm. That's what I think. It's a bit like you learn how to say the shit you want to say yeah. without getting in trouble. Because I mean, I've seen you. I've seen you destroy a room and do really well with material that then is subsequently rejected. And oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because of whatever sensibility line. It's you know? so weird. Anyway. So. All right. Well, this is done. Are there any? Are there any like parting? Yeah. Alright, alright, yeah. I have the whole last 55 minutes left to edit out. But no, that's yeah, probably. How long is this thing? It's been like an hour and a half. Oh, that's good enough. Let's go get drunk. Okay. Well, you made it to the end. I think that's. I don't know. I, I, I don't know why you do what you do, but I, I, I you know, I hope, I hope, I hope it, it was worth it. Um, Dom and I, in fact, did go get a little bit drunk after that. He he, anyway, he 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 showed me this new type of drink that was more had a higher alcoholic content than I'm than I'm comfortable with. And we had some in the park, and then anyway, it's not interesting. But I was thinking, I've been thinking about um, my intro just now, and I was saying how I don't think comedy best takes place at comedy clubs now, really. Um, I think largely, perhaps that's because of the sort of the... I don't know, there's something kind of inherently unfunny about everything set up for someone to come before you and attempt to make you laugh. Whether it's about authority or the sincerity or 
or just the whole sort of the, how, how contrived it is that all of this is set up for this particular type of experience when really what uh, is often funny or, or, or comedic is some incongruity. And you, you don't get that in a comedy club. And so I guess I'm saying this because I, I feel bad. Like, should I not have named the comedy club I, I told a story about in the opening? I don't think so. I don't think that comedy club... I'm not indicting them any more than any other. It's just that that's where I I was. And I'm not I wasn't even referring to that one. It's, so I, I don't want to get in trouble for this. Because I think if anything, now people know of this this place they may not have heard of before. And I'm I'm, I'm not really going to condemn an organization which gives me the opportunity to do what I enjoy. It's a complicated thing, I guess. My sister thinks that I should I try to be funnier on these podcasts. She's like, you're a comic and people expect this of you. At least tell one joke. Um, and I've heard that before, but I don't know. I don't, that's, what the, that's, that's what the stand-up is for. This isn't what the podcast is for. Anyway, you know what, you know, because you're at the very end, I want to ask, I'm curious to hear some feedback, some, some comments. If, you know, I'd be more than open to hearing whatever you have to say. So please feel free to send me an email um, at heady.david at gmail.com. Um, I'm sure you're able to find me other ways, but, you know, send me an email. Even if you listen to the end of this, I'd be curious to find out. Or why? What was compelling about it? What do you like about the series? And then maybe, uh, you know, we can have some changes. Because it is weird doing this because there is, like doing a podcast, because there is no feedback, which is what you simply do not, like that's foreign to the stand-up experience. Um, anyway, you want a joke? I'm going to try to give you a joke. Here's a joke that, that hasn't worked. What I find funny, and I've tried to pass it off a few times, is to say... Uh, how do you, you know, to open up and to, to begin a set by being like, how do you, how do you guys feel about first impressions? And then just move on, don't even give it time to sink in. How do you feel about first impressions? That's it. And I like telling that joke because I'm telling a joke that doesn't work. So there's nothing at stake for me. And you, I don't sort of do a disservice to the joke by telling it outside of a set. Anyway, thanks for, uh... You know, sticking around, and this has been I have a problem with David Hetty.